10, 11 years ago that, um, that we were here uh, worshiping together and part of the team. And it was a wonderful time for us because um, our hometown is Peterborough. And um, that's where we, we, we you know, both my wife and I um, come from. And we um, were involved in a church there. And we, long story short, we took a bit of a knock. Uh, sometimes it happens in ministry, we took a bit of a knock and we were hurting pretty badly. We were uh, struggling and um, through connections and relationship, Mark and Cheryl came along and really just kind of reached out to us, pulled us in and really brought us into a kind of a home, a, a family uh, here at Faith Life. And so it was just a, you know, a wonderful season for us being here, a season of getting restored and uh, hopes coming back again. And, um, and so I'm sure you already know this, but we, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're blessed to have such wonderful, godly, caring leaders. Amen. Can I see an amen? Woo! All right. And so that's what we need. And I know that Mark and Sherry, you know, really have a heart for, for the kingdom. And um, so both my, my wife and, uh, and I, we've been, and the boys have been in um, London for the last, uh, how many years? Ten years. So in two, uh, I think it was 2009. We moved to Kensington Temple to go and join um, Kensington Temple uh, Church. Uh, got reconnected to a, a mentor of mine, Colin Dye, at Kensington Temple Church. And we were invited to join the leadership team. And, um, and so we were involved in various areas of ministry. In fact, the year we actually joined, Katie was in the middle of a two-year, um, seven nights a week revival meetings for two years. And so I came, came right into the second year. And so it was all in, three or four nights a week, leading worship. And after a few weeks, we were trying to get a, get a breather. But it was really some wonderful things that happened. I think in the space of about two years, um, 5,000 people came to, to, to uh, make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, with notable healings and miracles. And there was a, a guy that, that the Lord seemed to use during that time was Gypsy William Lee. He's now gone to, on to be with the Lord. But it was wonderful just to go and, and be a part of that and to be able to serve into that and everything that was, that, that was going on. And now we're, of course, a basic K team. My wife is working in inner city London, and uh, I'm involved in a, um, a charity called Tear Fund, uh, which is um, a Christian organization that's, you know, very much involved with the local church, you know, trying to break the cycle of poverty and injustice around the world. And so, really, we're just really grateful to be here. We're grateful. I feel already encouraged, you know, encouraged about what um, God wants to do here this morning. And so, I love that verse that says, you know, Jesus says, where I am in the midst, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there already in the midst. And so, we can expect God to come and move among us today. And today, I want to encourage you around the theme of worship, a huge topic in, in the Bible and um, even today in, in church life, if we had more time this morning, we could perhaps look at the Old Testament, look into the New Testament, uh, look at all the, the Moses tabernacle, the David's tabernacle, uh, look at the Levitical, Levitical priesthood, all the 4,000 musicians and hundreds of singers that were involved in worshiping the Lord. And, um, and so we can look at all of that. We can look at one of my heroes, which is David in the Bible. And spend um, some a lot of time just kind of gleaning about what worship looks like. But what I really felt to, uh, to to go with this morning is look into the New Testament about the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that we worship. So I'd like if you could just turn in your in your Bibles to John chapter four, John chapter four verses one to twenty six. 
Here we go. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and, bapti- uh, gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but the disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is, is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and the truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks." God is spirit, and his sp- worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you're here now. Thank you that your presence is here. We say that we're listening. We come with expectation. Lord, I ask now that you would send the Spirit and that you would burn truth upon our hearts. Change us. In your name we pray. Amen. So in these uh, verses, very well-known portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, Jesus was talking with a, a Samaritan woman. It's a very exciting, well-known portion of Scripture. It's packed with uh, encounter and revelation and words of knowledge and mission. It's really exciting. There's a lot of things going on in this, in story, this story. But he's speaking with this Samaritan woman and, and um, talking about spiritual life. And then Jesus, of course, uh, says to her, she says, if, you, if she asked him, he would give her the gift of eternal life. Then Jesus starts talking about worship. He explains what true worship is, and then of course he talks about what worship is not. And so Jesus says that true worship is not dependent upon the location. 
The Samaritan brought up a heated argument. Of course, that was taking place between the Samaritans and the Jews at the time. The Jews said that the proper place to worship God was in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where we're all supposed to go. And then the woman um, said that... um, you know, that's not the case. We Samaritans, we have our own temple that we, where we worship in Mount Gerizim in Samaria and said that God should be worshipped there. And so both of them kind of confined worship to being something that we do in a certain place at a certain time for a certain people group. Isn't it wonderful that there is no prejudice, you know, when it comes to Christianity? It's, I love that verse in Revelation where it talks about all the nations and all the tribes coming together as one. And so Jesus is kind of trying to show that here in this, in this story. And then he says, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. In other words, the issue of where God is worshipped really does not matter. What really matters is the condition of a worshipper's heart. And so today, sometimes, I think sometimes, even subconsciously, we sometimes think that God is a God who dwells in church buildings. But I love the the couple of verses, Acts 17, verse 24. Acts 17, verse 24 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Isn't that encouraging? We are his temple, and that means that you can worship anywhere at any time. Whether you're at your workplace or whether you're in the middle of a field, wherever it is, God welcomes our worship to him. And so there's a bit of background. But here we have this incredible account of one woman's encounter with Jesus. One that was for sure going to change the rest of her life. One that was going to ultimately lead to many people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I want to encourage you with today is that this is what we've been invited to. The whole of our Christian lives is an ongoing relationship and encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The whole of our lives must be seen as an adventure to get to know Jesus. Many today sometimes think of Jesus in terms of someone who just forgives them and kind of stamps their passport to say, you're in heaven. And uh, sometimes people, Christianity, you know, it, you know, people think that it just kind of ends there. But Christianity doesn't end with conversion. Being saved uh, uh, of, uh, from, from hell is not the end of it or just obeying some kind of rules or instructions. This is the, just the beginning of a lifelong discovery of who Jesus is. And so the real power behind our Christian experience is found in interacting with this person, Jesus Christ just like this woman did in this story. And one uh, man said this, I think Mike Bickle, who said this, the most transforming, exhilarating, motivating reality in the kingdom or Christianity is Jesus himself. Today I want to encourage you, as we explore this theme of worship, to ask yourself this question. What's so special to me about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? How important is he in your life? Are you passionate about him? Throughout the Bible, it's, it's wonderful to study um, different kinds of characters. And I, I've done, you know, different characters studies. I'm sure you have. And it's wonderful to just look at and learn all kinds of different things about these different characters. But one thing we do know is that they were all flawed. They were all types or foreshadows. And so that's why it's so wonderful to study the man Jesus Christ because he was perfect. He was the perfect man. 
uh, we could glean so many different things. Even in his earthly life throughout the Bible, uh, we can see that he, he had wonderful leadership and communication skills. In those three years of ministry, he, he never, never made excuses for his work. I mean, that's a good one. He never made excuses for his work. He was often mistreated. Jesus was often not thanked enough. We could say that he had the best people management. Just look at the way that he looked after those 12 disciples for those three years. He was the best in servant leadership. He was the all-round perfect man. In fact, if you're needing help with becoming, you know, a better father or mother or a better husband or wife or child um, or, or a worship leader or musician and singer, I would encourage you to glean from the life and the lessons of Jesus. As an example, and so the New Testament, just like this Samaritan woman, tells us of so many people who uh, experienced encounters with Jesus, which led not just to kind of this kind of behavior modification, but a transformed heart. And that's what worship really, of course, must be. Are we impacted by this revelation of Jesus? And I think this is a poignant question really for our generation right now. Are we impacted by the revelation of Jesus Christ? Because if there's one thing that's going to change our schools and our colleges, our universities, our workplaces, it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ touching people's hearts. And so this Samaritan woman got a, a revelation. She got a, a vision of Jesus one day at a well. And this, I feel, has such a wonderful, uh, it teaches so many different things about worshipers today. I've been involved in, in worship ministry now for uh, for over 20 years, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, 20, over 20 years is a, is a little while. And um, one thing I've learned about worship is that learning to be a worshiper is a lifelong calling. It doesn't matter if, whether you're a musician or a worship leader or whatever, but it is a lifelong calling. I've spent a lot of time with, with worshipers, um, uh, singers, a musician, talented um, Artists. In fact, I was. Just, I found out yesterday that some of our musicians at KT are actually going to be on the Baptist tonight. Woohoo! So give him a bit of a shout out tonight. There's Sam Henshaw. If anybody watches the Baptist, he's, he's singing a song called Church. So I thought it was pretty good. And uh, so some of our musicians are playing there. But it, it's wonderful just to hang out with your musicians and, you, you know, you kind of glean from one another. You build each other up in your worship journey. But I'm seeing how the profile of worship ministry is is arguably as influential in the life of the church as it is the preaching of the Word. With all the albums that are coming out, you know, the thousands of albums that are coming out every year, um, and new songs we have access to all over the world, congregations are going out singing the new choruses, and very much so the songs that we are singing are creating the theology of our churches. Also, I've learned within ministry, this is being, being, just sharing some of my journey, being very brief, but I've, I've learned that um, there are some challenges that you can have in worship life. How many know that? And um, sometimes choosing to, to choose servanthood over stardom is important. Uh, or popularity. Community or teamwork over individualism. Um, excellence rather than perfectionism. Um, a heart of worship rather than a performance. Um, we're not here to put on a show with high-octane energy and any of that. We're here because of our hearts. We want the presence of the Lord. Uh, we have to think about the songs that we're singing. Sometimes that can be a challenge. 
because the songs, like I said, are kind of shaping the way people think about God. So that's when it comes to a song list, you know, you have to think about all the things, that, uh, all the attributes of God, and you're thinking about, okay, how do I approach God? Of course, I can approach Him, uh, uh, you know, think about His love, and intimacy is important, but if that's all it is, then our vision of God will be skewed. We have to have a holistic, you know, we have to approach God sometimes with reverence and fear. And, um, and so there's dangers today um, just of a consumeristic, a consumeristic approach to worship because worship must never become more about the worshipers than it is about the one that we're worshiping. Sometimes we have to watch out for self-indulgence, that kind of me stuff and that I stuff and, uh, in, in our worship. And so in this age, uh, you, you know and I know that, that there are all kinds of interruptions and distractions to our worship life in this generation. Um, there's a fight for our worship. There's a fight for our attention. There is a, a fight for our affections. There are various idols that are really wanting to, to, to take over our lives. It makes me wonder sometimes, what would we look like if all we had was Christ? What would we sound like if all we had was Jesus and everything else was stripped away? But here's the thing. As we look at John 4, if we aspire to be those true worshipers, that Jesus talks about, we must have an increasing revelation of Jesus himself. And that's a journey of discovery. This is why worship, I think, is so powerful. And it, of course, helps to have songs that, of course, are about him. Um, because they stir adoration and gratitude and affection and, and love. All these emotions that we can pour out upon him. And this is what... Um, some of the great historical songwriters did in the past. For example, the Methodist movement. How many have read about that? The Methodist revival movement um, uh, during the 18th century. Charles Wesley. How many have heard of Charles Wesley? Yeah. We sing some of it, a lot of his songs today and uh, in the hymns. And he was John Wesley's brother. And uh, he wrote over 5,000 hymns. Now, I've wrote some songs, but <laughs> I was looking this out and I thought that's kind of like one hymn um, every day for 13 years. And most of these songs were being written on horseback when they were traveling from A to B, because they didn't have cars, of course, back then. So they were writing these songs as they were going along. What was it that drove him to write all these hymns? It was a revelation of Jesus. You read about these hymns, and you see the packed theology, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, just punching it all the way through, through those melodies. And so it was a revelation of Jesus. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. You know it. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. What's the next verse? How does the next verse go? He breaks the power and cancels sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest, the, 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 the foulest clean. Is, it, is that it? His blood availeth for me. There we go. We got there in the end. These were the songs that they were singing during a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so there was a revival in worship. And when we look historically, there's never been a revival without divinic worship. Even check out the, if we look a bit sooner, just more recent, even in the Welsh revival. Some of you may have read about that, the Welsh revival, whenever... Um, what we see from that is whenever God sort of, you know, sends an outpouring of His Spirit, worship is key. The Welsh Revival, if you've read anything ever about it, that was not really characterized by a lot of preaching. It was characterized by spontaneous worship and an outburst of the gifts of the Spirit just moving everywhere. 
I was reading the account of, of someone who, was, um, who lived during the Welsh Revival, and you can find it on YouTube. And, um, and he talks about the presence of God being so powerful and the worship of God being so powerful in the cities and in the, in the towns where it was taking place in the villages that you could feel it when you turned up at the station, at the train station. There was a presence of the Holy Spirit moving amongst the people. Worship is key. I went, so I went to uh, Wales. It was good probably 12 years ago. I went to Mariah Chapel, went to check out, just do a little bit of history, find out what, what, what was going on, was um, and reading about Evan Roberts. And managed to go to Mariah Chapel, and they actually had a recording of Evan Roberts' brother singing, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. And so, uh, and he was singing it in a key that I could, probably couldn't reach, so I couldn't sing along. I don't know how high those guys used to sing it, but anyway, um, it, it was something that it, it moved me because that was one of the songs that characterized the Welsh revival. It was "Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving, uh, um, loving kindness, vast as the flood." In um, during my teens, um, our family, um, my, my parents were, were in ministry, grew up in a Christian home, and. Uh, at the age of about 11, we took off to Kansas City. And um, where at the time, the late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of um, prophetic kind of phenomena taking place. Some of you may have heard about the Kansas City prophets. And at the age of 11, 11 being there, I remember being in that environment and just completely being exposed to the prophetic ministry and being just completely bought over by what I was hearing where the Holy Spirit was coming upon prophets and there were all kinds of different words of knowledge becoming. And I used to just be amazed how God can actually speak through a prophet to someone in so much detail. But what was synonymous with that, well, interestingly enough, was a move of worship. Whilst you had all the, prophes the prophecies and all the words of knowledge and the gifts of the Spirit functioning, also there were songs like, Let Your Glory Fall in This Room, remember? Let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth. Let your presence rest in this place as we gather. Well, that song came during those times. I will give you all my worship. Songs like that, show your power. These songs will be written in the, in the, in the house of prayer at that time. Whilst all this prophetic, prophetic activity was happening. And so what I learned from there is that worship is prophetic. Music is prophetic. The prophetic can flow during times of worship. Scripture says in Revelation that the prophecy, the prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And um, the prophetic is that which reveals Jesus. Sometimes we think of the prophetic as that which reveals the future. But Revelation makes it clear that it's far more about revealing Jesus than we think. So sometimes we might be in the middle of a worship set. doesn't matter how big, a, you know, the size, wherever we are, whatever kind of crowd. We might be in the middle of a worship set and, and, and suddenly a spontaneous song comes. You ever been in those places? Spontaneous song comes. It might be a word. It might be a melody. It might even be an instrumental piece. And, uh, and as it's sung or played, the mood changes. Something takes over. And it re reveals something about Jesus, perhaps, that we've never seen before. It brings us closer in love with Jesus. It brings us into his presence more. So, something maybe has said that someone in that room needs to hear. That's prophetic Worship. Sometimes it might be a worship leader gets a song, a particular song that it might be for that particular meeting. Sometimes somebody might even actually write a whole new song for that season that a church might be 
in. But the ultimate effect really is to glorify Jesus Christ. See, the, the Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Jesus that we follow is unpredictable. Have you any, any noticed that? The Jesus that we follow is unpredictable. Sometimes worship is. And uh, you, you can't settle and be comfortable when you're following Jesus. Sometimes uh, we say, come Lord Jesus, but he comes in an unexpected way. And sometimes he offends our minds to get to our hearts. Sometimes he offends our thinking to try and get through to us. Remember, he came to his own, but they did not recognize him. Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes life gets a little bit predictable sometimes. In our household, it's not very predictable because we just uh, bought a, a puppy, the fifth member of our family. And, uh, and just in case you're wondering why I've got all these cuts, that's the puppy that we just got, the fifth member of the, uh, the family. And he was very sad, or she was very sad she couldn't be with us today, by the way. But, um, but anyway, she's been looked after properly. But uh, if prayer won't wake you up at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, it certainly a puppy will. But um, sometimes life, I don't know about you, sometimes can be so predictable. And it can be very safe and comfortable. But the Jesus that we follow is unpredictable. He's always doing something. He's always moving somewhere. And the key is to try and follow where he is moving and what he's doing. Especially when it comes to, I don't know about you, but worship evangelism, we'll talk about it in a moment. But it's so deeply connected. When you're in the company of Jesus, something of you must stand out. But of course, when you're carrying the presence of Jesus, that's what brings the change. That's what enables you to be able to, to flow with him and to be able to be that voice of Jesus to our dying world. And so I sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's something about it being in the presence of Jesus that changes things. Sometimes our lives can be so built up with so many different things, even in church life, things can be so consumed with perhaps leadership and, and economic principles and various things and numerical growth and keys to building more successful, happy life. But Christian life is about the Lord Jesus Christ. I figure that there must be all kinds of different things that perhaps churches seek to grow through great administration techniques to, grow, to get great crowds and, and clever marketing, clever advertising. But where are the real worshipers and disciples of Jesus? Because in a way, they're kind of like your best ad advertisement, really, for the church. It reminds me of a story that goes back to, to the days of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was an English Baptist preacher in the mid-1800s, known to many as the, uh, the, the Prince of Preachers. And uh, during his time of, of preaching, there were a few large churches at that time in London. And there is a story, a true story, about a group, a group of Christians that was traveling uh, that went to visit two uh, of these large churches, one of them being Charles Spurgeon. Anyway, they pitched up at this one church, and the first place they went to was a big place, and I don't remember the name or the name the, the preacher or the church. Uh, they enjoyed their, their time there, and as they were coming away out of the church building, they said, they, they came away saying, what a great preacher. The same group the next week went to hear Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Baptist Church. And when they also, uh, they also enjoyed their, their time, came out talking, but what they came away saying was, what a great Christ we have. Not how good was the speaker, not how good was uh, the, the program or the worship leader, how good is the music and the band, but what an amazing Christ that we have. Not spectators being entertained, 
uh, uh, by the great pr- program or the great visuals, but people experiencing the real tangible presence of Jesus. And this is what we're after. Is that what you're after? That's what we're after in this generation. I believe that is what is going to fill the large auditoriums, the stadiums in the days ahead. It will be an awestruck wonder of who Jesus is. Not about any man, not about any music team. It will be about the Lord Jesus Christ that gathers the multitudes. It's time to get Jesus back in the center, back on the throne of our hearts again. Where the most important reality is Jesus himself. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with, um, with a, a woman called Catherine Coleman. And uh, who's a woman who w- was used wonderfully by, by the Lord with miracles and, and healings. And um, certainly not a woman with a perfect past either. Quite a broken woman. And, uh, but whom God used in an incredible way. And, and uh, when she went on to be with the Lord, a reporter came to, to, to ask her personal assistant some questions about Catherine. And um, what it was like to work with her. And they asked this assistant, what made her so special to work with? And she said, oh, that's easy. She responded, she made Jesus so real to me. And this is the beautiful truth, I think, about worship. You become like the one whom you worship. You become like the one that you look at the most. If you're gazing upon Jesus the most, the more like him you'll become. You start to think and behave and sound more like him. And I guess this maybe is the challenge of social media because everybody's following everybody else. And, uh, but the truth the thing is with the Christian life, the more you submit your life to Christ, the more you worship Christ, the more you're in the company of Jesus, the more like him you'll become. Scripture says, and we all with unveiled faces are being transformed with ever increasing glory into his image. That's in Corinthians. There's something about being in the presence of Jesus that ought to, to change us. There's something about being in the company of Jesus that perhaps may make us better husband and wives. And everyone said amen. There's something about being in the presence of Jesus that may, should make us better employees or businessmen or, or students. I tried to, to encourage our team this in Kensington and Temple with the team of the worship guys and uh, and I often say this, I didn't I get it for myself, I got it from somewhere else, I don't know where I got it from. But anyway, worship transforms worshipers. Worship transforms worshipers. The presence transforms people's lives. That's why it's so important to, to cherish the presence of God. I say this to, to budding worship leaders who are, you know, looking to, you know, the best place to be is in the, be in a worship room. If you want to be a budding worship leader or a singer or a musician, be in the presence of God. Be in a place of worship because it's, it's better caught than taught. It's where you learn to be in the presence of Jesus, where you learn the most. Romans 12 says, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Don't be conformed to the image and pattern of this world anymore. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your reasonable act of service or your act of worship. Now, arriving back here in John 4, this Samaritan um, woman has just realized here, who she's speaking with. We went up to verse 26. But note what happens after she encounters Jesus. See, let me just say this. When we gather um, together like this, when it comes to, you know, coming together as a church and worshiping like this, there is, of course, a sense of direction and a purpose. 
The direction, of course, is toward God, but the purpose is to, to encounter him. Uh, it's backed up with James, James chapter 4, verse 8. I sometimes think of it like this, but worship is like a journey up a mountain to meet with God, followed by a journey down to face the world. A journey up to meet with God, but followed by a journey down to face the world. And on this journey, there are many steps. There is steps that we, we take together, like praising God's attributes. How I many you know that's important? Praising God's name, adoration, confession, uh, forgiveness. All these things are important parts of, of, of the journey. Recognition, recognition of who he is. Uh, recognition of who we are as children of God. But also, an important step is mission. And that's why it's great to have great different songs that kind of emphasize these steps. But see, uh, one, once we've encountered him, it doesn't just stop there. It's just started. We're now ready to face the world. We're now ready to face the world of mission. And what I love about this story in John chapter 4 is that this woman's encounter of being in the presence of Jesus doesn't just stop there. The story goes on. It led to a whole town hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And when they came out and met Jesus, many more became believers. Isn't that wonderful? Sounds like a mini revival broke out in that town. This woman became the evangelist to her town from having this encounter with Jesus. You see, worship without mission is pointless. Worship without mission is, is pointless. Yes, we import worship, and these, these times together are so important, but we also must export worship in the world that we live in to show what Jesus is really like, to point people to Jesus. True worshipers can become the best evangelists. True worshipers can become the best missionaries. I, a number of weeks ago, was, was so encouraged. And for my whole family, um, my, my grandfather, uh, just in the last year, has been deteriorating very fast. And his health has been going downhill. And um, about two, three weeks ago, something like that, I got a phone call to say that he's not got long left. And... Um, you know, we're pretty close as a family, and, but a, a large part of my mum's side of the family are not, have, have not been saved. And so I got this phone call. I don't know about you if you've ever been in this situation. All of a sudden, you get this kind of alarming sense, okay, you know, uh, the, I, I, need to, I need to get to him. I need to somehow, you know, uh, get this opportunity to have him one-on-one -on -one time. And sometimes that can be tough when people, especially when someone's sick, there are people coming in and out all the time. And and so I, I decided, you know, I, I got down on my knees and started praying, Lord, you know, I did not really know what, what I was supposed to do, but I, I just I had a burden upon my heart to, to, to pray for him and to just pray that God would shine his light into his, into, in, into his heart. And he's a war veteran, Second World War. He's seen it all. He's gone through all kinds of different life experiences. But up until then was very resistant to the gospel. It's very hard to get, I don't know if you've got family members, it's very tough sometimes to get the, the message of the gospel to them. It's like a big wall in front. But anyway, um, I, I sense I needed to get up to Wales as fast as possible. Or is it down? Yeah, I think it's down, isn't it? Anyway, down to Wales. And, um, and so I got there, and all the family were there, and all kind of commotion taking place. I was really looking for a moment, just a moment that I could get to, um, to, to share some one-on-one -on -one time. And uh, eventually, 
Uh, my mum kind of worked her magic, and she got everybody out of the room, and I was able to go in. I was to be able to, to share some heart-to-heart and have some reminiscing and, you know, just talk about some of the one fun, fond memories that we've had together. And um, I was looking for an avenue, for an opportunity to somehow, how can I just change the dynamic here? Uh, saying, Holy Spirit, you're the one that creates the mood. You, you do this because I, I really don't know what to do. But anyway, a moment came. And I was able to just share, you know, Bam, I, 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 I just want to make sure that you've got peace with God. The most important thing that, that you have at this moment right now is that you have peace with God. And I asked him if it would be okay to, to, to pray with him. And, and he, he said, yes, I shared some, some Bible verses about you know, the gospel. And if whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And went through that. And they said, would you like to pray with me? And I'm going to pray, pray a, a sinner's prayer, Bams. And if you pray this after me, I want you to acknowledge afterwards if we've done that. And so I took him through. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Uh, forgive me of my sins. I need you in my life. You know, please give me the promise of eternal life. We went through the prayer. I said, did you pray that prayer? And he said, yes. And this was such a, a, a moment for, for, for our family, such an encouraging moment for me personally, because I haven't led to someone to the Lord for some while. And, um, and it was just a moment where the light of God just came into the room. You could sense a change. It was just a turnaround. Everything just seemed to be, the walls came down. And I said, you know, Bams, how are you feeling now? And he, was, he felt a peace, you know, he felt like he, and we started talking about Billy Graham and all of that. And all of a sudden, we start talking about some of our uh, Christian heritage, which goes back to my great-great-grandfather in the early 1900s, was a Methodist minister. All this stuff, you know, finding out, and, and just because there was an, a heart that was receptive to respond to Jesus. Robert E. Weber said this, worship is the gospel in motion. Worship is the gospel in motion. Actually, what I forgot to tell you also is that he's been having dreams about trumpets of the Salvation Army playing outside of his room. And so that was pretty neat, I thought. Um, we'll get that one in there. A worshiping church can capture the heart of a dying world. A church in love with Jesus can change cities because the rule of the worshiping church is to reach and save the lost. So reach the lost. A.W. Tozer said this, and this is coming to, to, to land in a moment, but he said, the most important question in your life is, what do you think of Jesus? Not necessarily do you like him, but what do you think of Jesus? And this is, I think, so key to worship. What we think about him is the most important thing. Who do you imagine him to be when you're on your own in those quiet places? When you're reflecting, what are your thoughts of him? Because I think this, this is true, is that sometimes our low view of him can prevent us from being effective in the kingdom life. If you want to enjoy the Christian life and the kingdom life, you have to see the king for all that he is worth. We could say, go further by saying that the most revealing thing about the church is found in her ideas about Jesus. Her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. Paul the Apostle said this, when so, was someone who gave up everything when he saw the magnificence and excellence of Jesus. He was lost in awe 
and in wonder of Jesus. Remember, he said, I count all things loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a glorious church of worship, where worship is not confined to a certain time, place, or people group. It is not confined to just an encounter with Jesus. It is holistic in terms of us carrying the presence of Jesus to a dying world. And so that's what I want to encourage you with today is, is to enlarge your vision of what worship really is. You can export your worship out into the public place. Many of you, our family and friends, were not saved. I almost feel like there will be opportunities that will pop off. When you're in the company of Jesus, things will start to happen in the friends and family. Opportunities and moments will come where you can just sow a seed, where you can take through someone through the sinner's prayer. How many want that to happen? Let's all stand together. Maybe we can just respond to him now. And I'll just ask that question again today. Is that what is your vision of Jesus today? Is he the most important person in your life? There may be people here this morning that uh, there are certain things that are holding you back in your relationship with Jesus. There may be various things that you're tied to. It might be addiction. It might be uh, things that have held on for you for so long that your pursuit of Jesus has kind of fallen to the wayside. I want to encourage you today to step, make a step forward to Jesus today and give him your whole heart. What is your vision of Jesus today? Are you being impacted by the revelation of Jesus? Just a few moments. Let's just, now just fix our gaze upon him. There's a song that goes, you know, that turn your eyes upon Jesus, look toward his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to encourage you now just to pray a prayer from your heart. Very simple prayer. Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to experience this kingdom reality to know you. I want to put you first in my life. Just in a moment, there's a song I'd like to just lead us into in a moment, but about Jesus being the center of it all. But I, I feel sometimes when it comes to just responses, very often sometimes our responses, we come perhaps to the altar and we, 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 we're really crying out for, 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 and rightly so, we're praying, God, we would just want more of you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your glory. We want more of you, Jesus. But I feel like very often when we pray those prayers that God is saying, I want more of you. I want more of your time. I want more of your attention. I want more of your affections. And I feel it's something within us that needs to, it's more than a discipline. It's something about seeing Jesus. It's something about seeing his beauty and his, you know, his, his worth. Jesus never forces you into anything. That's what religious duty does. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus was always motivating people and encouraging people with love. Remember how he, he restored Peter? When Peter denied him three times, how did he restore him? He said, do you love me? 
Jesus is looking for those that love me. And there are so many things that are crowding out authentic love and passion for Jesus. But I want to encourage you today to set it right in your heart. Ask Jesus to come and be life and soul of your, your life. Come and be the center.